Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, the show where we take all of the latest news, gossip and events in the world of Formula One and we relay that back to you for your listening or viewing pleasure, depending on which platform, of course, you choose to follow us on. And the F1 summer break is finally at an end, guys. We are back with the Formula One season, the second half of the Formula One season, beginning this weekend at the Belgium Grand Prix. And there are so many talking points that we need to resume, so many battles that are going to recommence and of course going through all of the hot talking points all of the major battles joining me on this episode of the dnf1 f1 podcast my co-host mr courtney pine courtney first of all hello how are you and of course are you excited now that we are just days away from the belgian grand prix the formula one season coming back with a bang yeah of course i'm looking forward to it it's uh it's been a long old summer break sure is uh dragged on and of course we do have a lot to um, look forward to in the second half of the season. I just want to point out the shirt you're wearing, Adam, because you've given me plenty of stick in the past wearing my Mercedes shirt. Yet here you are sporting your colours. Well, I wouldn't say I've been giving you stick. I've just been merely pointing <laughs> out that you seem to be more keen to wear a Mercedes shirt than you do the DNF1 shirt that you have. Um, well... So, <laughs> yeah, I, well, I did say at some point on one of these episodes I was going to be sporting a Ferrari top and uh, here I am and I think it's appropriate going into the second half of the season everyone getting back into the mood after a few weeks off uh, where the drivers and teams have had their necessary rest and relaxation however they've planned to spend that and now the batteries are recharged it's time to go again of course we have been going non-stop throughout the season we continue to do so up until the end of the season and beyond so yeah I figured why not sport my uh, my uh, colors if you like um, obviously my particular area of interest but of course we're going to be as impartial as we possibly can throughout the entire paddock anyone that as knows always. us and anyone that's followed us on this podcast will know that i tend to be more critical of ferrari rather than uh favorable i suppose um, and for good reason i think I'll give you that 
have high standards of the team. They have high standards of themselves. And uh, I think it's right to call it out, of course, when they're not meeting those. But as I said, let's get into the main talking points of the podcast, guys. Now, of course, if you have been under a rock and you've not been noticing what we've been doing the last couple of weeks during the summer break, we, of course, have been doing our driver transfer special, which, of course, we did with Fergal from Motorsport Mondays and Motorsport Week. And uh, you can definitely check that out. A lot of it is still rather valid because we haven't had any confirmation of any driver transfers or any drivers that have been signed up or any drivers that have been let go for next season. So, of course, it's all still there. So definitely check that out. And incidentally, of course, we did a mini series that we trialed featuring some women content creators to talk about their interest in motorsport, not just Formula One in general. And of course, their own stories and experiences. I definitely recommend you that. I recommend that to you. Uh, a couple of great content creators that we interviewed. Uh, we had Manena from the Girl Talks F1. We had Deanna from Relapse and the Outlap F1 podcast. And of course, we had Kira Megan, no less, from the F-Series. All brilliant guests, all brilliant episodes. Definitely recommend that. It's on the channel. And of course, if you are following us on your favorite podcasting platform, it is also on there as well. So definitely recommend you go and check those out before this weekend's Belgian Grand Prix. Some great stuff. Now, of course, Courtney, without further ado, let's get into the preview. Let's get into Belgian it. Grand Prix. Yeah. Uh, exciting times, of course, this weekend. We are now going to have the recommencing of the battle, of course, no less than at the front of the F1 paddock, the fight for the championship between Red Bull and Mercedes, and in particular, Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. And of course, we are sitting currently in the position where Lewis Hamilton has a slender lead over Max Verstappen, one which, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, Lewis will probably feel very fortunate to have considering how this season has gone so far. Now we're coming back to a Grand Prix circuit, which historically has produced so much action. More often than not, has proven to be the catalyst or the key moment in a championship battle in the past. And I expect no less from this season's version of the Belgian Grand Prix. First of all, Courtney, how, how do you think is going to go down between these two? What do you think are in each individual mindsets of either driver going into the second half of the season after assessing what has been a very much uh, a contrasting of fortunes on both ends? I think it all depends on the uh, development of the respective teams because I, I do believe that, I'm going to sound like a fanboy here, but I do believe that if the cars are on relatively equal level, I think Lewis will have the edge simply because he has the experience. Look how many times the lad's done it. I really do believe that he would do it if the cars were on a, a similar level. Look, Max, Max is great. He's a great driver. But he's yet to lose that uh, that championship virginity. And he's always going to have that slight doubt in his mind, particularly coming up against somebody as good as Lewis. That I think he's going to need a slight performance advantage in order to get it over the line. But I do think the fans are going to play a big role in the next couple of races because there is going to be a big Dutch contingent. And it could give Max that boost to get a lead in the championship before going into the end of the European season. Yeah, that's a very, very good point. And, you know, I, I think I can agree with you. I think when both drivers are driving at an absolute limit, Lewis does edge Max Verstappen, of course. I, you know, it's, I don't know if we've seen very often this season both drivers being able to go at the absolute 100%. I mean, there's been a lot of times this season where those guys have had some great battles between them. And the reason why I don't think both of them have given their 100% at this point is I think Max Verstappen has certainly given the higher proportion of his absolute peak this season compared to the two. And this is kind of why I want to draw into this particular preview. I kind of also want to talk about some drivers that I think 
um, do have to improve in the second half of the season. And I'm going to start this off a very unpopular one, but I think there is some merit to this. I think Lewis Hamilton is definitely one of the drivers, I think, that has to up his game in the second half of the season. Now, I know this sounds crazy, given that we are talking about the guy that's leading the Drivers' Championship at the moment, and by and large is one of the reasons why the Constructors' Championship is going in favour of his team. That being said, Lewis Hamilton has made very, very few mistakes during this Turbo Hybrid era. Mm. You know, I think one of the biggest, biggest improvements to his overall game as a driver is the fact that he's eradicated so many big mistakes from his driving. You know, he made a lot of those when he was growing up. When he was a one-time world champion, he made so many mistakes in the late 2000s, the early 2010s, and of course in the Turbo Hybrid era, he'd ironed so many of those out. Probably owing to the experience he's had in those years, and he was able to do that. Of course, when he was in a car capable, he could, you know, benefit from those improvements. This season, however, he has made quite a few big mistakes, uh, one of which in Imola where he made that huge mistake um, and you know at the hairpin and he was bailed out massively by the red flag. I think you could argue if it wasn't for the red flag, um, which was obviously caused by that crash between Bottas and Russell, he would have been a lap down. He would not have got anywhere near the points, let alone finish on the podium. So he was able to recover a lot of points from that. He also made that mistake in Baku when Max obviously had his big accident and Lewis was not able to capitalize on that because he made that mistake. Uh, to try and overtake Sergio Perez. And, you know, in this season in particular, of course, you can also talk about the his part that he played in the uh, accident between himself and Max at the British Grand Prix. Um, not to say that Lewis was 100% at fault on that. We're not going to go into that one again, but Lewis did play a significant part in that. Okay, he benefited from it, but it's an error from Lewis Hamilton that we haven't seen from him in the past or in past championships when he's been up against Vettel, he's been up against Rosberg or Bottas, respectively. This is the first time we've seen Lewis make errors of this magnitude. And I feel that the biggest reason why Lewis is leading this championship, we can all agree, is because Max has had a lot of misfortune, particularly at, at Baku, he lost a big chunk of points. Hungary, of course, he lost a lot of points there. Silverstone, I'll waver that one because, again, you could split it down the middle and say, well, Max could have got points there, but you know he played his part in that incident as well. So, you know, you have to look at it at that you know, from that perspective that, Lewis is leading this championship, but probably doesn't deserve to be. That being said, Max, of course, will have to up his game. Lewis, as we know, historically always ups his game in the second half of the season. That's so right. yeah. for Max Verstappen to face a tumultuous task of beating Lewis Hamilton from position he's in, he's going to have to continue, if not elevate his level to perhaps new heights. Whereas Lewis, I think if he can find that peak again, as he's done so often in previous championships, we could end up at the end of the season with a very similar story with Lewis Hamilton coming out on top. Of course, this season, the car is not as dominant as it has been in previous seasons. We may be at a position where the Mercedes isn't the best all-round car, but all that coming together, I think we know what we're going to see from Max Verstappen. I think a lot of questions have come from him, uh, have come towards him, I suppose, on how good he really is and can he deliver under pressure. I think we've seen a lot of the time he has done. I expect that to continue. The question is, can Lewis Hamilton, and again, this is crazy of me to ask of a seven-time world champion who's won as much as he has, but can Lewis refine those peaks that he's found so often time and time again to eventually claim his eighth world title? Well, I think Lewis has been looking after his mental health over the summer. I think he's, he took himself off social media. He took himself into a space where, you know, he feels better and he's been able to sort of 
recollect a few things and go again for the second half of the season. I think he's one of the best people for that. I think he understands the sanctity of the mind. And, you know, that's that's one of the reasons why he's been as successful as he is, because look, we all know what it's like in this day and age. But if you're in the spotlight the way he is, it's so easy for things to get on top of you. And I think he has deliberately taken himself away from certain things in order to get himself recharged for the second half of the season. Again, I think on equal machinery, I think Lewis can do it. But we're not going to know the respective performances of these cars until Spa. And it's going to be intriguing to see what Red Bull and Mercedes have done. Whether they're the small tweaks to the car that can make a big difference, I think Sunday's going to be a very interesting day for the championship. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And it could set the tone for the rest of the season. Of course, we've, we've now gone past the point where both Red Bull and Mercedes will go into this amicably. I think we're going to see more and more fireworks between both teams. And in a way, that's kind of what we want as fans. But of course, it has to be done within reason. Of course, we can talk about Silverstone as a situation where Red Bull went over the line in how they handled the aftermath of the incident. And at a time where you can understand why they're angry and frustrated over what had occurred, of course, we can't excuse the way that they behaved and some of the things that were said, which definitely tainted those feelings of um, pity and... uh, respect for them in that regard um so i I just i just think after what happened at hungary as well of course that just made things worse Mm. as far as red bull's perspective was concerned of course red bull reacted a bit differently towards it but it doesn't help their uh their position in this championship and i think we've gone past the point now where the teams are gonna they might tone it down a little bit because they've had the time off to sort of i think they need to yeah yeah they need to but I, i think we've gone past the point as i said i think they've had time to refresh uh and recharge their batteries and perhaps analyze this and take a step back um after you know everything's been so heated and stuff has been said that they're going to be able to look at this now and say okay this is the position we're in we know that with better fortunes we keep doing what we're doing the chances are we are going to win this world championship because i think red bull deserve to be leading this championship and i think max verstappen deserves to be leading the drivers championship but that's not the situation that we're in at the moment and if they're going to continue the rest of the season with that grudge and with that anguish thinking, oh, we should be leading, but we're not, oh, Mercedes are doing this, Mercedes are doing that, then Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton are going to win this championship. And we know, absolutely. And we know that Mercedes have not been at their best either in the same way that Lewis hasn't been at his absolute best. So we know they can find more. We know that they can iron out the errors that they made. Very, very rare errors for Mercedes. The same way as Lewis Hamilton, very, very similar um, in terms of their seasons, but we know they can do more and we're expecting them to do more. So the question remains, can Red Bull manage to uh, hold off and fend off this new, if you like, this improved Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton? That's going to be key. And, you know, we may not find out in Belgium. Uh, we may not find out at Zandvoort, but at some point we will, it will start well, to Zandvoort's going to be tasty though. Yeah, it certainly will it's be. It's going to be tasty. But um, that, I think that's going to be the key battle this weekend between those two, is can Red Bull reset um, and refresh themselves? Can Max Verstappen do the same, go out and put in a performance that we know they're capable of and we've seen so often this season? And of course, on the Mercedes side of the garage, can Lewis Hamilton find those peaks that he's often done so much? Because as I said, one of them is going to come out on top and it's going to be because the other one doesn't deliver on what we believe that they should be. If Hamilton is still making those same mistakes, he's not going to be, he's not going to receive the fortunes that he has done uh, like he did at Hungary or at Imola, et cetera, et cetera. And if Max Verstappen doesn't keep that high level that he has been, or even find high levels, 
he is going to come second best to Lewis Hamilton in the same way that Vettel did in 2018 and 17, the same way Rosberg did in 2014 and 2015. So that that's kind of the uh, how can I say how can I, the stalemate that we're in at the moment. That's what's one of them's going to give. It's just a case of which one yeah. is going to be. The the next two the next two races I've brought up several times, but I really do believe it's important. The next two races are going to be vital because I'm I'm seeing this as a Lewis Hamilton fan, and it's like. It's like Millwall away, Zandvoort. You know, it's gonna be it's, it's gonna be a hostile crowd. You know, pretty much the majority of people are gonna be against Lewis. And if if he can get a great result there, then that's really gonna give him the the motivation and you know and the and the belief that he can win this championship. If Max does a double in the next two races, then the initiative is fully back with Max. Yeah, and and Lewis is so good at doing this. I mean, I remember. Italy 2018, one of Lewis Hamilton's greatest ever drives for Mercedes and in his Formula One career, where it was a partisan crowd, very much in favour of Ferrari. Of course, Ferrari were creating their own problems with Kimi Raikkonen and Sebastian Vettel, where it's what was going on there. And, you know, despite having a Ferrari's on the front row, Hamilton took advantage of the situation and he was able to punish Ferrari and put in a brilliant drive and complete Mercedes 1 2 on a day that should have been all about Ferrari. So, they know how to do this, Mercedes. Hamilton knows how to do this to take advantage and capitalize on uh, on the errors of the opposition. So Red Bull will need to be able to sustain those high levels that they have done and just hope that fortune does go their way uh, and rather rather banish the anguish that they've had in the first half of the season. That's going to be key. It's going to be a very much a maturing experience for Max Verstappen. We're just going to have to see how mature he has been, or how mature he will be in the second half of the season. Because I think so far, other than one fiery moment at Silverstone, I'd say he's handled things very, very well in general. Um, but of course, this is where the real championship begins. That's where, and that's where Red Bull have a, a duty to Max. Because if they continue to conduct themselves the way they have surrounding Hungary and Silverstone, I think that could hamper Max. They need to be fully behind him. They need to be mature and just focus on the the, the sole goal, which is winning the championship. Get yeah. behind your guy. That's what it's all about. Stop thinking about the guys on the garage next year. Get behind your guy. And, you know, they they have the ability to win the championship. They just need to get Mercedes out of their heads. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And um, I, I think... Now we can look at the other side of the garage. I mean, we're going to do our predictions a little bit later on, but let's look on the other side of both teams. We've got Perez and Bottas. Again, two drivers I think do have to improve. I think perhaps more than anybody else, these two are the ones that I think do need to improve. Now, uh, a couple of months ago, after the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, we were all singing Sergio Perez's praises, as was everybody at the time. And we said we felt perhaps this is what he needed to do to convince Red Bull that he was ready to sign a new deal on a longer term agreement to stay with the team. I still think right now, Sergio Perez is the best option that Red Bull have going into the next season or two. So I still think that perhaps he's one or two big performances away from securing that. But one thing that has worried me about Sergio Perez is not necessarily about what he does in the race. It's qualifying. And whilst Christian Horner has openly said quite often that Sergio Perez is very happy with what Sergio Perez has done, this season in terms of his overall contribution to the Constructors' Championship for Red Bull and, of course, his own performances in supporting Max Verstappen. Um, he seems quite happy with that. But then there's, you've got Dr. Helmut Marco, who's certainly not shy of giving a blunt, honest opinion on how he sees things. And sometimes he can be completely batshit crazy. 
Other times he can be completely on the money. And I think he is on the money on this occasion when it comes to Sergio Perez, in which he said that the deficit to Max Verstappen is considerably larger than they expected it to be. Although I don't think they expected in uh, a month of Sundays that uh, he was going to be on Max's level at every single Grand Prix, but he's been quite concerned about the size of the gulf between them in qualifying. And the minimum expectation for Red Bull is that Perez qualifies ahead of the midfield, and he hasn't always done that. So going into the second half of the season, Courtney, Sergio Perez, more than most, probably has a very significant role to play in both championships. Do you feel that he's got what it takes to put it together in previous game and become more of a factor? And more importantly, help his teammate and the team secure both championships? I, I think that he, he has the ability. We've seen glimpses of his talent. I just think he needs to learn to, to get comfortable with his car. I think, um, you know, that there is this whole thing about the cars being designed um, purely for Max. Whether that be true or not, only Red Bull know that. But I just think, look, Perez has got machinery that's been given to him and he needs to make the most of it. Like he's, he has put in some good performances for them already. That's the thing. He's already done it. He's shown he can do it. He can do it. He needs to be more, he needs to be more consistent with it. But, it's, you know, it's the, same, it's the same with Bottas. I think they both have a massive role to play that could decide the championship because it's going to be close and I think the second drivers are going to play a big role. But I don't know. I've, I've, I do think Dick Dan, Sergio Perez will end up with the seat, but Helmut Marco is a bit of a loose cannon. and It, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if he, if he pulled a madness and we just saw him get replaced with, I don't know, with Albon, something like that. Because it just, it just, particularly if Red Bull were to start losing ground in the championship, so say like Mercedes took the initiative in the second half of the season, I can see... I can see Helmut Marco being upset about the situation and sort of putting his frustrations out on Sergio Perez. So hypothetically speaking, if Red Bull start behind in his next few races, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if they made a decision to get rid of Perez. Yeah, um, I'll be brutally honest with you, mate. I'll be very, very surprised if that happens. And even if it did, I think Red Bull know that uh, you know, at this point of the season, replacing Perez would be a massive mistake. Even if it was someone mm-hmm. for, like Alex Albon, who naturally would be the obvious choice being the reserve driver and the, obviously the guy that's most comfortable with the car by comparison to the others. Um, I mean, it's not a bad shout in terms of Alex's form right now. Of course, he won his first DTM race at the Nürburgring uh, last weekend. Uh, he's been talking to a couple of teams in IndyCar, obviously trying to, I don't know, get the layer of the land, I suppose, trying to get his name out there to try and secure a seat for next season. So I definitely think his uh, ambitions and directions in racing are certainly away from Formula One, at least for next season, as far as that's concerned. But um, yeah, Sergio Perez needs to up his game. Um, I think his qualifying performances need to improve. If granted, it's probably a difficult car for him to get on top of at the moment. And perhaps next season we'll see a better Sergio Perez, obviously with the rule reset. But I think he needs to take more chances in terms of um, getting himself in that battle because right now we have, I'm not, you know, forget Max and Lewis. Let's talk about Valtteri Bottas. I mean, that is the target for Sergio. Mm-hmm. If he can try and put himself in a position where he's beating Bottas more regularly than not, and put himself in a position where he can help his teammate by obscuring the strategies that Mercedes are trying to put in place for Hamilton, that is kind of what he needs to be doing. And I think Red Bull will be hoping in the second half of the season he can do that. Or at least to a degree, put himself in a position where he makes Mercedes' life a little bit harder than it than it needs to be for. I him. think he needs to be he needs to be in a position 
to get good points. So say we go into Spa and Max has a DNF, goes out first lap. Perez needs to be in a position to get as many points as possible and say Lewis is second in the race, challenge Lewis and get ahead of Lewis to steal the points from Lewis. These kind of situations will define this championship. And that's where that's the level that Sergio Perez needs to be getting at. To his credit, on the two occasions where he's had to do that, he actually has done that. Mm. Um, I mean, we're talking about the uh, British Grand Prix. Um, you know, that was a great example because Sergio Perez, of course, uh, was in the points or at least fighting close for the points. And then, of course, he had to make that pit stop, which he didn't need to but it was to take the fastest lap. And of course he did, which allowed him to take a point away from Lewis Hamilton. I know it's only a point, but it could be the difference in this championship. We've seen championships won by half a point in the past. So, you know, one point can make the difference. Um, if you don't believe me, ask Alain Prost about that one, because Nicky Lauda won a championship in, I think it was 84 by half a point. So, um, you know, it can be done. Um, but then, of course, you've also got the Grand Prix in Baku where Max had that uh, crash, which wasn't his fault. And of course, Perez was able to get the win in that race. So to his credit, he has done that. But I do understand what you mean. He does need to put himself in that position where he can, um, you know, capitalize on these things if those opportunities come to him and try to penalize Mercedes for any mistakes that they have even more. So, so some things he hasn't done enough of. But when he's been called upon, he has been able to respond. So I think that's why Christian Horn has been very positive. Uh, of Perez in terms of his first half performance, but we definitely need to find more from him. Um, Valtteri Bottas, I think a driver again, there's a lot for him to do in the second half of the season. At this point, we still don't know if Valtteri Bottas is going to be at Mercedes next season. We were convinced a couple of weeks ago when we did the transfer special that we would know. Um, Mercedes said they were going to make a decision over the summer break. That's now been pushed back to some point in September. So I don't think we have long to wait. And again, we we don't know what's going to happen. Mercedes may actually know already. You know, Valtteri Bottas may already know where his future is going to lie. For next he must, time. surely. He must, because you need to give the drivers time to find a new, a new place to drive. I, I, I'd be very surprised if Valtteri doesn't know. Surely he knows. Well, you say that, but um, I mean, at this point, I, I do want I want to say I think he probably does know. But we haven't seen any indication from either him or George Russell that either of them know for certain where they're going to be next year. They've been very coy and teasing on it. So we'll have to wait and see how that goes. But as I said, um, in this championship right now, I think we need this situation sorted as far as Mercedes are concerned. Bowtree just needs to get his head down, try and improve on his performances. Again, we've said so often that Bowtree can either be in the fight or absolutely nowhere. And I think what has gone well for him this season is that he's still ahead of Perez, whereas you could argue that he's not been as good as he has been in other seasons. You know, it's just depends on how you look at it. I think one thing that's always concerned me with Valtteri Bottas in the Mercedes is that when Lewis Hamilton has fallen down the field, he's always been able to recover and fight his way through. With Valtteri, he just gets stuck in the midfield. Despite having a much more competitive car, he just doesn't seem to be able to deliver. And of course, what happened at Hungary where he caused that big crash at the start whilst Mercedes benefited from it is not befitting of what Mercedes want Valtteri Bottas to do uh, behind the wheel. So we'll have to wait and see how that transpires. But both of those definitely need to improve for their respective teams if they are going to be successful come the end of the season. Um, let's talk about McLaren and Ferrari. 
the same old battle between these two. And it, it's been one of the highlights of the season, it must be said. Both of them deadlocked on 163 points each, I believe, in the Constructors' Championship, of course, after the um, disqualification from Sebastian Vettel was upheld, of course, after that one, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. Um, again, there are areas, I think, for both teams that do need to be improved on for the second half of the season, perhaps more in Ferrari's camp, I suppose, in McLaren. But um, how do you see this one going down this weekend, Courtney? Because, again, we're going to a power-sensitive circuit. Ferrari have talked about the bringing a new spec for their engine, which, of course, is what... They're quite excited about. They're quite excited about it. But it's not going to be coming until after the Italian Grand Prix at the earliest, they say. So uh, could we see these next couple of races where McLaren have that power advantage over mm. Ferrari be the critical three races in their season if they are going to finish ahead of the Scuderia? It's going to be it's going to be vital. I think um, I think this weekend should favour McLaren. I think Zandvoort is going to be an interesting one because it's, it's all, I'm not looking forward to that race simply because it seems almost impossible to overtake there. It looks like qualifying. It's 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 a little. It's 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 going to be a Monaco style circuit. I feel. Hope I'm wrong. I feel like we could have ourselves another Monaco style race there, and I think Charles Leclerc in particular seems to have the edge over the McLaren guys in qualifying. So I think I think this the next race in particular is vital for McLaren. I think they need to pick up as many points as possible. But going on to the drivers' performances, I've been impressed with both of the Ferrari drivers, particularly Carlos Sainz. I think. Leclerc has that raw talent, but he still has that mistake in him sometimes. And he needs to iron that out if he wants to be a future world champion. I think the biggest talking point drivers-wise is Dan Ricciardo. Doesn't need to be said, really. He knows he needs to up his game. And he needs to up his game to win this Constructors' Championship because I think Ferrari are going to be coming in strong in the second half of the season. Lando's been supreme, though. Let's, 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 let's not forget how good Lando has been. He's propelled McLaren to the level that they're at this season. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Lando has been... Pound for pound, the best driver this season. I mean, you could argue a case that Max Verstappen has probably been the best driver this season, but it's hard to argue that case against a driver who has been so brilliant like Lando Norris has been, given the machinery that he has in comparison to Max. So, you know, it, it chop and change. It depends on who you ask, really. But those two have been, without doubt, the best two drivers this season. Um, and, and that's kind of where it leads us to the second half of the season, Courtney, between Ferrari and McLaren. Lando Norris has been phenomenal. Very unfortunate in Hungary, obviously, to be taken out in that first lap incident as well. And it's kind of not necessarily sullied what has been a brilliant start to the season, but obviously not scoring points after going 15 races in a row in the points is it is a bit of a shame that it had to end in that fashion. It was a remarkable run for Lando Norris. So I don't think there's much we can really say about Lando in terms of what he needs to look for the second half of the season. It's just going to be more of the same and just try and keep the Ferraris behind you if you can. Um, Danny Rick, I think a driver that definitely has to improve in the second half of the season. We know he can do it. We know he's more than capable. I mean, this is a guy that I think in the right car is a championship contender. We've just never seen him in that car throughout his career. He's had some good cars, but he's never really had a championship contender um, in his hands. So we'll have to wait and see. For all we know, this could prove to be one of those seasons where the car's characteristics just don't suit the driver and there's no way that Daniel can get around it. Of course, given the way the season is going and what we're going into in the coming years, Daniel may not have to worry about that too long. But I think what's important for him is trying to find ways to find improvements this season in his form, not just to give himself confidence, but also give McLaren confidence in him because he's got a contract with them up until 2024. Um, same as Lando. But what he wants to avoid 
beyond this season is that sort of feeling of dread where he slowly becomes the number two driver and perhaps he doesn't seem to deliver what we hoped he would do. And McLaren, I think this season, have seen how good that car can be in Lando Norris's hands. And it's kind of made them feel, perhaps in Ricardo that they should be expecting more from him. And granted, this has been a difficult transition for him. It's never easy to transition into a new car uh, at any point in your career. So we'll have to wait and see. Um, I'm hoping that we do see a much improved Daniel Ricciardo and that it translates into better form in the coming seasons. But that is certainly going to be... Uh, that, that sort of ounce of doubt in his mind, that ounce of doubt in McLaren's mind. And it's something they hopefully can eradicate because if they can do that and Ricardo can put together the performances that we've seen on rare occasions this season, McLaren will fancy their chances of getting that P3 in the Constructors' Championship. I mean, overall, do you think McLaren are concerned about Daniel's form going into the second half of the season? Or do you feel that perhaps they're, they're for this time that Daniel has had away, they've probably been able to look at the data a bit more accurately with more time and perhaps they've come up with a plan to help Daniel get the best out of this car uh, in the second half of the season. I think they'll certainly be hoping that they get a better version of Daniel because he's going to be vital in this in this battle with Ferrari because Ferrari seem bullish for their prospects for the second half of the season and both of their drivers are performing well. And, you know, if, if Ferrari catch up on pure pace consistently... They're going to have to yes because both of their drivers are performing at that level where they can get maximum results. So really... Really and truly, Dan Ricciardo needs to up his level if McLaren are going to win this battle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, on the subject of Ferrari, um, I'm going to talk about Carlos Sainz in a minute, but I want to talk about Leclerc briefly because Leclerc has had moments this season where he's been phenomenal, um, but he's also had moments where, as you pointed out, you know, there's always that little mistake that tends to punish him, and it's like, ah, oh, you know, what could have been with Charles Leclerc if he eradicated that little mistake? I'm not going to be too harsh on him. Because I think he's been brilliant this season. Certainly one of the top yes. five drivers overall. Um, was very unlucky not to win the British Grand Prix. I think if it was any other driver in any other car in any other venue, he'd have won. Unfortunately for him, it was Lewis Hamilton in a formidable Mercedes at Silverstone in front of a home crowd. I mean, that's all the recipes for a comeback drive if I ever saw one. And eventually, of course, it did prove to be that way. So, you know, he was very unfortunate there. Monaco... Yes, he was unfortunate because the team didn't find the error by their own mistake, but it was his error that put him in that position to not capitalise on the pole position. So you can kind of see it as a 50-50 thing saying, yeah, you feel sorry for Leclerc, but he put himself in that position. You know, if he'd not made that mistake, whether he had still had pole position or not is up for debate. I mean, I think like eight drivers thought they were going to be on pole on their second run, but it did cost him big points. Um, Hungary, very unlucky. Um, again, if he'd managed to avoid Lance Stroll because Stroll had gone into the back of him, he may have fancied winning the race or getting on a podium like Sainz did. So, you know, and of course, let's not forget what happened um, in the Styrian race. Of course, he did clip Pierre Gasly. And of course, that did cost him um, a pit stop and a penalty as well. Not a penalty. He had that pit stop, of course. So, you know, what could have been in that race despite the recovery drive? So with Charles Leclerc, I think this season so far, I think he's been very good. Um, but just iron out a few minor issues but to his credit he has done that in the latter races towards the first half of the season so I think I'd be really harsh on him if I critiqued him for those things when those happened a little bit earlier in the season but given how well Lando's been I think Leclerc needs to make sure that he capitalizes because he could easily be up there with um, Lando Norris this season if it weren't for those few issues or That's the, right. misfortune so I think we have to take that into account 
granted Lando, I think has been better out of the two of them overall, but we've seen Leclerc with a higher ceiling between the two. I think it's probably fair. So a bit more consistency. But that's the thing. So, but one of the reasons why Lando is on that level is obviously apart from Hungary, where it was out of his control, he's been keeping himself out of trouble. And that's where Lando's at the edge over Leclerc. There's no doubt in how good Leclerc is on raw pace, but that's where Lando's at the edge. Yeah, consistency is exactly yeah. it. It's literally been the difference between the two this season. Um, so it'll be fun to watch them too. Um, we'll have to see what Ferrari do about their lack of straight line speed at the uh, Belgian Grand Prix and Italian Grand Prix. When that engine upgrade does come, hopefully Ferrari will be in a position where they won't be too far behind McLaren or maybe they'll be in front. We'll have to wait and see. Um, on the subject of Carlos Sainz, now Carlos Sainz has been phenomenal at times in the first half of the season. I think of all the drivers that have um, been in new cars, he's been by far the best this season. He has adjusted to the Ferrari very, very well. He does currently lead his teammate in the in the Drivers' Championship, which I think is certainly worth noting, but I think there has to be an asterisk over that in the fact that Charles Leclerc was unlucky not to win at Silverstone. Of course, he had that DNF. He didn't even start in Monaco, and he was taken out in Hungary where Carlos went on to get a podium. Now, with Carlos Sainz, whilst there have been some really good moments this season, I think the one issue I think he does need to improve on is consistency as well. I think there have been times when he's been right up there with his teammate and fighting away with the McLarens. But then there have been a few occasions where I think he has been a little bit underwhelming and the fact that this is not the same Carlos Sainz that we saw at McLaren. Now, I know that's probably a little bit harsh because I think Carlos has been very good and you know, there are probably times when Carlos has certainly been up there with Leclerc and Norris in particular and Ricard, well, not so much Ricardo, but Norris and Leclerc. But even by his own admission, he's felt that he's not been consistent enough, perhaps in certain phases of qualifying at the final moment when it counts and certain parts of the race where he feels like he could do more. And I agree with him. I think there is more he can do, but I'm expecting him to find that in the second half of the season. So I've got no concerns over his performances in the second half of the season where he's going to do. But I do agree that he, once he finds that level like he did at McLaren, I think him and Leclerc are going to be a real force in the second half of the season for Ferrari. I mean, what do you make of like, Do you think that's a fair uh, assessment of Carlos Sainz so far this season? Or do you think perhaps I'm being a little bit too harsh on uh, on Carlos? I think, I think Carlos has the ability to challenge Charles on a regular basis. You're right. If he finds that level that he was at McLaren, then he, he does have very um, a very good opportunity to do that. I'm going to skip a little bit ahead there. I'm going to be intrigued about next season if Ferrari, because I've just got this real gut feeling that Ferrari are going to be strong next season. It's going to be intriguing to see how Carlos Sainz and Leclerc get on if they're in a championship uh, contending car, because I think it could really be close between the two of them from this point going forward. Yeah. I mean... We've seen what Charles Leclerc is capable of in a race-winning Ferrari, albeit owing to the um, controversial legitimacy of the engine in 2019. Of course, the same old debate over, you know, was it really legal or what were they doing? That aside, we've seen what Charles is capable when he's got the machinery to deliver. Um, Carlos, of course, this is all foreign territory. Yes, he was at McLaren and expectations like Ferraris are going to be um, ridiculously high over their prospects for the future um, that he could have been a part of if he had stayed. But um, we've never seen Carlos in a position where the level of expectation is going to be as great as it will be next season, assuming Ferrari have a competitive car. Hopefully they do. 
So it'll be interesting to see how he reacts to that. I'm just thinking that what will be interesting, hopefully next season we'll see a battle between those four teams in particular, maybe some more. We'll see what they can really do. Again, wishful thinking. We'll just have to wait and see how that transpires. One team I did want to talk about before we move on to the next part is Alpine. Now, I wasn't going to talk about them too much because I think, granted, um, I don't think you could argue that Alpine have got, well, require too much improvement. I think there have been some tracks where they've been completely nowhere and there have been some tracks where they've been on the pace. And it's quite funny how some circuits, Courtney, you could have a Friday session where the Alpine is absolutely on it and then Sunday they're absolutely nowhere. And then a contrast of that, you'll have on Friday they're nowhere and then on Sunday they'll go and win the race. So it's a really strange one from them. I mean, Ocon, as I said, that win was absolutely fantastic for him. I think it's kind of um, helped remedy, I suppose, a lot of the shortcomings he's had earlier in the season. It'll be open, that's the case, yeah. So... We'll have to wait and see how that goes. Alonso, again, Alonso has gone from strength to strength and I've got no concerns about Fernando Alonso going in the second half of the season. One thing I did want to ask you, though, did you see, um, I'm just checking on my phone because I did take a picture of this. Did you see Fernando Alonso on Twitter earlier today? He made a very strange tweet that was... Uh, in... No. So I'm not going to read it because it doesn't tra- It doesn't read right. It's all coded. And, okay, this is interesting. Yeah, it's a very, very strange tweet. I'll put it on the... So if you're watching this on YouTube, I will put it on the screen to okay. show the tweet that in question. But it's all I'm coded. Intrigued. Very, very strange. All coded. And basically, I'm just looking at my phone now to check if you're wondering what I'm doing, if you're watching this on YouTube. But this has been decoded by some F1 fans. Apparently, it's part of a Alp- Alpine code or something like this. And... What it basically means, his tweet that he's put up in English is big news coming soon. And to tease you all, I'm tweeting this in code. So there have been rumors in the paddock that Fernando Alonso wants to sign a contract extension with Alpine. Now, his current contract runs out at 2022, so the end of next season. Fernando wants a contract on the same length as Ocon, which would take him up to the 2024 season. Now, this is kind of interesting on two counts because one, Obviously, it shows that Fernando obviously wants to stay in the sport a little bit longer. And the way that he's driving at the moment, you would say that's not exactly a bad investment to take. Even at his age where he's now in his 40s, it's not exactly the worst idea. Um, I mean, Michael Schumacher retired from Formula 1 officially, I think it was about 43. So Fernando would be the similar age by the time that contract runs out, if he was to sign it. But on the other side of it, you've got... A few drivers in the Alpine Driver Academy, like Guan Yu Zhou, Christian Lungard, Oscar Piastri, uh, Victor Martins, of course. Um, some some really good young drivers, obviously, waiting in the wings for an opportunity at Alpine. But if Fernando Alonso signs a new deal to 2024, you've basically got four or five drivers in the academy that are going to have to wait at least three more years before they can get a seat at Alpine at the very earliest. And three of those are already in F2 right now, very much in the hunt for the F2 Championship. So, Corny, I guess my question is, is not necessarily what Alpine need to do to improve this season, but what do they do about Fernando Alonso's situation, bearing in mind the issues they've got with their own driver academy? Because right now it's kind of a, it's a very difficult position if you have to make the decision on whether to keep Fernando for another couple of years or go with youth or risk losing them if you decide to go with the former. I think there's a problem in Formula 1 in general that these teams have these academies, let's say. But you've got to remember that 
Alpine, obviously that are you know they're the sports version of Renault. Renault have no customer teams, so they don't have these deals. Obviously, if you have a look at like Mick Schumacher at Haas because he's in the Ferrari driver academy, you've had George Russell at Williams because Williams are in with the Mercedes family. Renault don't have that luxury. So these drivers that are in the Renault Academy are going to find it a lot harder to come through. So they need, Formula One needs more teams in general for the sake of the younger drivers coming through. I've thought that for a while now. But Renault needs some customer teams in order to give these guys more of a chance. But going back to Fernando Alonso, I'm not surprised in the slightest, to be honest. I think he came back because he believes with these big regulation changes, this big shakeup that is coming. Alpine could be one of those teams that could surprise people and, you know, be, have a championship winning car. You know, he's he has plenty of fond memories with the team. With, I mean, when the, formerly known as Renault in 2005, 2006, he has a trust in, the, in these people. So he's gone back to familiar territory, hoping they can pull off a badness. I do think that if Alpine struggle in 2022, 2023, I think Alonso will give up. He's gone there because he's hoping there's a chance he could be in a championship winning car again. Yeah, very, very true. And I don't think we we should ignore that. That is Alonso's ultimate goal. And obviously he feels that when it comes to 2022, that the team that gets it right will be very, very hard to stop for the next couple of years. And I think he probably has a lot of faith in Alpine. Um, and he wants to be a big part of that future. If it takes him a few more years to realise the ultimate potential of what this team could deliver rather than another year, which I think is probably about accurate. I think it'd be a lot to ask of them to absolutely nail it next year, although it's possible it could happen. We'd have to wait and see. It's interesting you mentioned, of course, um, trying to attract newer teams to the sport and having more customer teams. Right now, we, of course, have three engine providers, uh, excluding Honda, which, of course, are leaving officially next season, despite the fact that they're providing Red Bull with their engines up until 2025, although that will be in the shape of next year's engine, which will be uh, frozen in spec for another few years. But of course, Red Bull will continue with their own powertrain division that they are now building um, to look after that. So it does seem that uh, Renault will need to try and attract newer teams to the sport. And I know they've been in talks with a few teams to try and uh, attract them to the sport. Uh, in terms of getting them involved, some independent teams, not necessarily manufacturers, and be their exclusive engine provider, which, of course, could be a way for them to get into the sport without it costing an arm and a leg. Of course, we already know at the current state of play in F1 that if a new team does want to enter the sport, it's going to cost them at least $200 million, um, owing to the payment they need to make to all the teams of $20 million each. Uh, to allow them to come into the sport. And I think there's a delay on the revenue that gets dispersed to all the teams evenly for like a year or two, that they can't get any revenue from F1 directly like that. So it's a very, very big ask to have a new team into the sport. So, of course, they will need to try and find ways to try and ease the burden, if you like, um, by having favourable deals and technical partnerships with an existing provider. And that could be the way in through Renault. And I think it will both benefit both parties. So we'll have to wait and see on that goes. But it is quite interesting to talk about with their driver academy because they're in quite a difficult position right now where there are certainly one or two, perhaps Oscar Piastri in my mind definitely is the guy I would want to have in a Formula 1 seat very, very soon. So he's the driver I would feel that uh, Renault or Alpine in this case are most likely to lose if they decide to keep Fernando Alonso in Formula 1 for another couple of years. So a very difficult position for them to be in altogether. But with Alpine in mind, Courtney, of course, let's talk about the other two teams in this uh, battle for fifth, if you like, between uh, Alpha Tauri 
and Aston Martin. And I think for different reasons, both teams definitely need to improve in the second half of the season. But how do you see this battle going this weekend between these three teams? Who do you expect to come out on top? I think Aston Martin seem to have made some serious progress this season. They seem to be a lot more happier with the car. And I think most far, at least Sebastian Vettel seems to be a lot happier with the car. I think he's actually been low-key, one of the stories of the season, actually. I think, you know, um, Aston Martin started slowly. But Vettel's managed to pick up a, a couple of results and he seems to be getting that confidence that he lost whilst he was at Ferrari. And I think Vettel could be the vital the, the, the vital point in this battle between Alpha Tauri and Aston Martin. Yeah, uh, Aston Martin definitely have to improve second half of the season. It was a bit of a slow start for them, but uh, after their performance in Monaco, of course, with Seb Vettel getting a big chunk of points and... Of course, what happened in Baku, Seb getting on the podium and on the road, Seb finished on the podium in Hungary. If it wasn't for the penalty received after the race, where he was completely disqualified for the uh, failure to provide the minimum required amount of fuel as a sample to the FIA, he would have been able to keep a P2. So it's a huge chunk of points that they lost out on. And of course, it was a massive game for Alpine as well, with Alonso getting a few more points um, being promoted up the order. So... You know, they do find themselves in a position where I think Aston Martin will fancy their chances this weekend with the car characteristics improving, of course, what they've got already compared to the other two. But they will need to find ways to improve. I think Lance Stroll needs to be more of a factor in the second half of this season. I think he's kind of gone to the wayside a bit. Yeah. I don't think it's been bad, but um, Hungary certainly didn't help his cause, uh, making a similar mistake like Bottas did. But the headlines have been very much about Sebastian Vettel and his improvement. And we kind of expected this from Vettel. We expected him to really lead this team going forward, and he certainly has done. That being said, though, I think Seb, if you judged his first half of the season, it got better as it went along, but there are still a lot of areas that needs to improve him. And I think if we see that from Sebastian Vettel, Aston Martin will become a real force to deal with, not just towards the end of this season, but could be for years to come. So it will be important for them to sort of get that right, but I think they need to make sure they don't make any more uh, significant mistakes that are going to cost them points because Hungary was a real hammer blow for them mm-hmm. on two counts and it only served to benefit their rivals in Alpine. They can't afford another weekend like that, so we'll have to, hopefully for their sake, they'll be able to iron that out and Seb can continue to drive the way that he has been the last couple of weeks, which has been phenomenal. Um Alpha Tauri, touch briefly on them in this battle because obviously we've talked about Alpine, we've talked about Aston Martin. We haven't really paid too much emphasis on Alpha Tauri yet. Now, they're one of the teams that I think would have gone into the summer break the most disappointed because they started the summer break, sorry, they start the season, I should say, with a car that a lot of people felt all round was not only quick enough to be better than Aston Martin and Alpine, but to be right up there challenging Ferrari and McLaren, in some cases ahead of them. And very rarely have they actually shown any signs that they could be the best of the rest. That if anything, they've been languishing down at the bottom end of the midfield. Uh, Pierre Gasly has been a regular performer in qualifying, has constantly been qualifying in the top six. So I've got no concerns with him. But their race pace has not necessarily translated into the same performance they've shown in qualifying. And to extend that even further, Yuki Tsunoda, despite his potential and what we hoped he would be, has found himself... Um, crashing the car into a barrier in qualifying or in practice uh, and not necessarily picking up big championship points with the exception of a few occasions. So for them, being at the bottom of this battle 
What do you think they need to do to try and turn this around and get that P5 in the Constructors' Championship, which they certainly will be targeting? I think they need to be a little bit of luck, I'd say, particularly on Gasly's side. But I think, yeah, Sonoda needs to up his game. Um, he's shown moments where he's, you can see he's capable. He has the potential. But it has been it has been disappointing after the start that he had. I think it's going to be tough for him to turn it around. I, I, I just think that second seat, you know, formerly, you know, Toro Rosso and now uh, Alpha Tauri, I think it's, it's always a difficult seat to be in because that's always the seat that the young drivers, it's always vulnerable to the young drivers, isn't it, in a Red Bull programme. So I think there's a lot more pressure on um, on that seat that Sonoda currently has. I think it has played a part in the struggles that he's had this season. But he needs to. He needs to up his game the second half of the season because if Alpha Tauri falter, then he's going to be the first person to blame. And we know how uh, how quickly choices can be made at Red Bull and he can find himself in trouble. So Sonoda is probably one of the drivers, I'd say one of the drivers that needs to improve the most in order to save his seat. Yeah, I mean, of course, we're not going to be going to the Japanese Grand Prix because, of course, we've had news a couple of weeks ago that um, that's been cancelled because of the COVID situation, which is a huge blow to Honda and also for Yuki Tsunoda because I'm sure Honda would have loved a Grand Prix in Japan, especially when they've got a car like the Red Bull in Max Verstappen's hand that could have won in the home track. Um, so it's a shame for them, but Yuki Tsunoda, of course, would have loved to have gone there and drive in front of his home fans. I think the Japanese fans would have loved that, but uh, owing to the COVID situation, that's not going to be possible this season. But with that all being said, Courtney, I mean, if you were... Well, let's assume you're the person, whoever that is, whether it's Dr. Helmut Marco or Dietrich Mateschitz, that makes the decision on who's going to be in the Alpha Tauri next season. Well, we'll assume Pierre Gasly is definitely going to be in that car. I don't know if there's any reason why, not even Red Bull would feel that Pierre Gasly shouldn't be in that car next season. Um, I mean, you could argue to agree he's put up a definite uh, shout to be in the Red Bull um, again, but of course we don't think that's going to happen. But with Yuki Tsunoda, um, he's had a contrasting year. He's had good moments, but he's had a lot of difficult moments and moments he's had to learn from. But we haven't really seen that enough. Do you feel that it would be wise to consider potentially replacing Sonoda for next season? Or do you feel that, you know, given the appraisal that Franz Tost has laid on him and the improvements that they claim that he's been making, do you feel that perhaps we're going to see a, the real Yuki Sonoda next season and perhaps we'll be in a better position to judge him there given that the lack of options that Red Bull have currently at the moment. Yeah, it's it's always easier to stick with what you know. So he does have that to his advantage. But I think it comes down to two things. I think it depends on how he performs in the second half of the season and how the drivers in F2 and F3 get on. Because if one of their drivers does exceptionally well in the second half of the season and Sonoda is still struggling and can cost Alpha Tauri places in the Constructors' Championship, he could find himself in trouble. But of course, this is a hypothetical situation. All Sonoda can do is focus on his own performances. And he can. He can have a better second half of the season. But it's all down to him. Yeah. No, that's a fair point. Um, I mean, I, I'm kind of leaning towards that as well. I feel like we'll get more out of him next season. I think I'll be able to judge him better there. Um, we've seen some good moments from Sonoda, but we've seen some difficult moments with Pierre Gasly. I think it's quite simple. I think he just needs to keep doing what he's doing. Um, hasn't had many moments where he's been underwhelming or poor. Um, perhaps Bahrain, he made a bit of a mistake there. Um, you know, lost his front wing on the opening lap with a collision with Ricardo. But other than that, 
I'd say he just needs a bit more fortune. Just keep doing what he's doing. I think he's shown some exactly. really good pace. And evidently what we're seeing is the Alpha Tauri has struggled to translate its rate, its uh, qualifying pace into race pace because if it could, Pierre would be fighting with the McLarens and the Ferraris on a weekly basis rather than trying to fend off uh, the Alpines and the Aston Martins respectively. Um, let's go to the final part of the you know, the, the, the hierarchy, if you like, of F1 right now. Uh, we've got Alfa Romeo, Williams and Haas as well. Now, of course, Courtney, I think the team that will be the most disappointed of anybody is Alfa Romeo. Um, they've gone into this season with a car that has always looked good in Friday practice, um, but we know that's most likely because they run lighter than everybody else. Um, but there have been times where Alfa Romeo have looked rather quick. And for whatever reason... It's a car that has been able to pick up points on occasion or at least been on the fringes of the points. But I think in general, they probably felt going into the sec- the uh, summer break that they should have scored more points than they actually did. What do you think has been the real problem for them this season so far? In all honesty, I think I look at Alfa Romeo in particular and Haas and their minds are fully on 2022. Now, they're both very vocal about it at the beginning of the season. But I think also Kimi Raikkonen, you know, Kimi Raikkonen does what he can, but you you know that Kimi's just there for for a Sunday drive. I just don't think they have a driver in their team. You know, if you have a look at how Charles Leclerc propelled them, sort of above their level when he was there, they don't have that that young blood, that that spice that gets them no big results on a unpredictable race. I think they've really missed that this season. I mean, do you think that? Um, to a degree this season, they probably felt that they were comfortably going to be eighth. Um, mm. No better, no worse. And at the Hungarian Grand Prix, despite the fact that Williams have been on the fringes of something like this for some time now, has really caught them by surprise and put them in a position which they may not be able to recover from, that they probably didn't anticipate either. Absolutely. And I think that's why I expect Williams to put a bit more focus on um, on this year's car. You can see there's a real energy around the place, you know, particularly, particularly, you know, obviously we talk about George Russell getting points, but Nicholas Latifi, he got a great result. And I think there's going to be a great buzz around that team. And I think Alfa Romeo are going to find it very hard to topple them now. Mm. Yeah. And I think the way the second half of the season could go for Alfa Romeo it could be a situation where the drivers that they have and the car that they have may not be enough. Um, they may have rolled the dice on 2022 thinking mm-hmm. that neither Williams or Haas were going to catch them um, unless something crazy like what we saw in Hungary happened. And unfortunately for them, it has done. And owing again to what happened with Sebastian Vettel, the deficit is now considerably larger than it was. I think it's now seven points between Williams and Alfa Romeo rather than just a few. So... That could be the difference this season. And I'd be very, very surprised at this point, unless something crazy happens, that Alfa Romeo will turn this around. I just think that they're just going to have to go back to the drawing board. Again, we could see an all-new lineup for them next season. So it could be a brand-new team, brand-new car, brand-new driver lineup, and hopefully for them, refreshed ambition and maybe some progress uh, to go along with it. Williams now, um, again... Going into the summer break, um, before the Hungarian Grand Prix, probably would have been ruining missed opportunities that they've had throughout this season. But of course, they had the incredible performance from both Latifi and George Russell getting big points for the team. Going into the second half of the season, Courtney, would it be wise for Williams to focus now primarily on 2022 with the idea that they may have enough in the back pocket now to hold off Alfa Romeo and Huss for the rest of the season? I mean... In theory, they should be putting the focus on 2022. But I just think, you know, what I think it's been such a long time since Williams have had something to be happy about. I think they really want to, like, 
harness this energy that they currently have in, and I think they're going to. They're, I think they're going to try and uh, sort of finesse what has been a surprising season for them with the amount of points they have. So I expect them to put a little bit more effort into this year's card than they probably expected to at the start. Perhaps. Um... Uh, me personally, I think Williams have put themselves in a position after Hungary where they can afford to take some luxury and, you know, focus on the 2022 car. I mean, I know it'd be disappointing for them if we have another crazy race like what we saw at Hungary. And given what we've seen this season so far, almost every single race has been exciting for different reasons. You'd, you'd go some way to find a race which is completely dull and boring, um, or at least without any action whatsoever this season. But even if it did happen, and Alfa Romeo were able to get ahead of Williams in the Constructors' Championship, which was, of course, where it counts the most at the moment. I don't think that's like the worst-case scenario for Williams. I think what would be worse for them is to try and throw too much at this current car, which, let's be honest, is an absolute dog um, for all ends up. And I don't mean to be horrible to Williams fans. I really don't, because I want the best for them. But I think we have to be realistic. They capitalised on an incredibly crazy race, did a brilliant job, something that the team has deserved for a long, long time now. And I think they do need to focus on their future. I think if they fight too hard in trying to maintain eighth position, bear in mind, this is what we're talking about here. Rather, not We're not talking about a championship or a top three, we're talking about eighth position, which of course is some revenue and championship money. Let's not forget that is worth something. But in the grand scheme of things, we're talking about a team that has aspirations and the personnel and the funds and the facilities to be the best team in Formula One. You have to think bigger picture. So if it were me, I would say, right, going into the summer break, um, we've done a fantastic job to get in this position. I don't think Alfa Romeo, with respect to them, uh, have enough in them to catch us unless we have a ridiculous race and they capitalize on it. And by evidence of what we saw at Hungary, Alfa Romeo could have done, but they made too many mistakes and they didn't. They made mistakes with the pits, obviously, with... um, I think it was it was it Giovinazzi that uh, unsafe release on Mazepin. Yes, uh, exactly. And you know some other mistakes they've made. You know, so they've really not done themselves any favors when that opportunity came to them. And I just don't feel that they've got it in them in the second half of the season to overturn that. So yeah, if I were Williams, focus on bigger picture. Um, I mean, next season's going to be a strange one for them because we don't know what their driver lineup's going to be. There's a very good chance that neither George Russell and Nicholas Latifi could be in next season's car. So do you think that's going to be a distraction for either driver, or do you feel that the task for them is absolutely the same until we get confirmation? I think it might be a little bit difficult for Latifi if he finds out he's leaving the sport altogether, because I think if he was to leave Williams, I don't think he'd have anywhere else to go. I think if George Russell finds out he gets that Mercedes seat, all that would do would motivate him. He'll be in a positive place mentally. And I think if anything, that might, might depend into some results you probably thought he couldn't previously get. So I think on one side, I think George Russell's move to Mercedes would be great. But I think if Latifi was to leave, I think you'd probably see like a real downturn in form. Yeah, let's hope not. I mean, Latifi's put together arguably his best performance in Formula Absolutely. 1. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, the Williams project, he does seem to be very much tied into this. So hopefully for his sake, he's able to continue driving well, um and you know show to Williams why he should still be a part of this project there's a lot of good candidates for the seats next year Valdu Bottas has proven to be one of them if George Russell replaces him at Mercedes and I think that would be a really good fit but there have been other candidates in other categories um Nick DeVries of course has surfaced as a late contender after winning the Formula E championship so that could certainly be a move that materializes and I'd love to see Nick DeVries in Formula One but of course it's got to come at the cost of 
someone who's currently in there at the moment. So we'll just have to wait and see on that. Um, with Huss, it, it's hard to judge Huss, really, um, in terms of where they can improve. I think the team has done as probably as well as they could have done. I don't think you can really criticise them on too much. I think if you look at them and scrutinise them this season, I think the issue for them was probably something that they would have foreseen, and that's with the two drivers. Now, it's been a bit of a contrast. Nikita Mazepin... We knew he was going to have a difficult transition um, by his own doing, granted, um, for his off-track activities. But behind the wheel of the car, we have seen some tangible improvements and progress. But I think for him, the second half of the season for him will be to get closer to Mick Schumacher. Because I think what we've seen, particularly in the races, that Mick Schumacher definitely has another level to his game Mm. where Nikita Mazepin has kind of struggled and fallen behind. Um, Would you say that's fair, Corny? Yeah, I I fully agree. I think the interesting thing to like mention is when you're driving in the worst car which is well known it's the worst car on the grid there isn't really much pressure you have I mean the only reference you have is your teammate so I do think Mazepin will be around next season obviously Mick Schumacher will be as well but if Haas are in any way competitive next season where they have anything but the worst car it'll be interesting to see how Mazepin reacts because that's when the pressure will really be on him yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Uh, and, and that's what it's going to come down to next year. This year is very much a transition year to try, try and find your feet, learn about driving a Formula One car. Uh, it's going to present a brand new challenge next season with the new rules, of course. So with that year of experience behind them, Mazepin's certainly going to need to showcase more of the form that we saw from him in F2 last season that saw him be a race winner and also being a contender in the championship as well. Um, in Mick Schumacher's case, is a bit of a different uh, scenario for him. There is certainly plenty for him to improve on. I think the most important thing he needs to focus on is not crashing as often as he has done. Now, I know that seems rather silly, but I think there have been a few occasions this season where we saw the French Grand Prix, uh, I think it was in qualifying, where he, he'd managed to get into Q2 uh, because of this, but uh, obviously crashing at the end of Q1. Uh, Monaco, of course, he had that massive crash there and he's had a few others uh, earlier on this season. That is something that he definitely needs to eradicate because not so much for his own benefit as a driver. Obviously, you know, teams would love for you to not crash at all, but everybody's done it. You know, even his dad had his moments of, I mean, I remember the Chinese Grand Prix, I think it was back in 2005, I believe it was, where on the warm-up lap to the grid, not the formation lap, the warm-up to the grid where they leave the garage and, you know, to put the car on the grid everything else he was sort of coasting along and hadn't seen the minardi of christian albers overtake on the right hand side and schumacher just veered across not looking where in his mirrors and he's completely ruined the car he's crashed into the minardi and uh, he had to jump into the uh, the spare car and of course in formula one these days we don't have spare cars so if he'd have done that then he wouldn't have raced so you know it, everybody's done it but in mick schumacher's case there's a lot of positives he's been quick at times Um, he's been rather calm, he's been learning, we can see that. But this is a driver that I think everybody's keeping their eye on, and in particular, his suitors at Ferrari, and of course, other teams like Alfa Romeo may be looking at him for next season. And I think when you've got a name like Schumacher, naturally everybody's going to be looking at you and seeing how you improve. And Mick Schumacher, to his credit, to this point, has been very, very good. But now we're starting to come into a bit more of a business end um, of his assessment for the season. And I think if he can eradicate those mistakes, which cause him to end up with half of his car coming out of the barriers, I think he will go some way to convince potential suitors for the future that this kid definitely has a high enough ceiling 
as a driver to be considered for a big drive in the future. Um, how would you assess Mick Schumacher's first half of the season, Courtney? Where do you think he needs to improve? I think he's done uh, fairly well, all things considered. I think the only thing that could have been better for Mick is like, it probably wasn't available at the time. But I just think Alfa Romeo would have been a better move for him. I think I think it would have suited Alfa Romeo as well. And I talk about that young blood. I think that was that would have been a much better fit. But unfortunately, that wasn't available to him. And I think with the package that he's had, that he's been given, he's done, he's probably done well enough what's expected of him. And it has given him time to get used to driving a Formula One car. I think next season is going to be a big one for Mick. I think, you know, you need, you need, you'll probably be needed to be thinking about his future options next season because I don't see Haas going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, we'll have to see how they get on. I mean, they have aspirations to get back into F1's midfield and they certainly have the personnel and the resources to do that. Um, we'll just have to wait and see how that transpires. They've put a lot of effort into their car for next season, uh, being the only team not to really develop their car at all, other than one rare occasion when they did a few little bits, but that was mostly just to make the car easier for their drivers to drive. Um, so I have to wait and see how that goes. Um, so it's prediction time. Coming up to the end of the podcast episode, Courtney. Um, let's go with the nice and easy one that everyone's familiar with. Who do we think is going to come out on top this weekend in qualifying? Who do we think is going to be in the top three for the race? And can you give me a bold prediction? Do you know what? I reckon Max is going to get pole. I think Lewis is then going to do that classic overtake on the Kimmel straight because the, the P1 is a sitting duck. And I've, I've just got a feeling that Lewis could hang on. I think particularly if it rains, because rain could well be forecast. I think Lewis could have a, a solid race here. I've got a feeling Lando's going to get third. I think we're going to say, I think, I think Lando would have been disappointed that something, you know, something happened. He, he ended the first half season on a negative and he'd done so well. I expect a bounce back from Lando and I think Lando's going to get P3. Bold prediction, particularly if it's a wet race. I'm going to, I know what, I'm going to be predictable. Another point scoring finish with George Russell. Well, this is it. I mean, we haven't even talked about the possibility of it being a wet race because the weather report suggests that we will get rain at some point this weekend. It's going to be a case of when and where. And of course, we saw in Hungary how much it can really affect the pecking order. We've seen a few times this season where rain has really affected the pecking order. Um, I think for me, qualifying oh, is tough. I think because you you look at the circuit like Belgium, it's very much a circuit that Mercedes historically have been very, very strong at other than... 2019 and 2018 where Ferrari were phenomenal but of course we knew why uh, they were very very good there um so it's a circuit I, I will I will stick to the form book and I will say I think Lewis Hamilton will go into this race as the favorite um I think he will be in polling qualifying but I think Max might get him in the race um there I think there's definitely going to be a moment where the two of them are going to have a moment together whether they come together or there's a moment. Not I can't be asked. No, if I, they come together again, I can't be asked for the reaction. <laughs> I just think it's going to be inevitable that those two are going to come together again. I don't think yeah. it's going to be as bad as what we've seen. I think what we may get is a moment similar to what happened with Lewis and Nico um, quite a few years ago. I think when yeah. they touched and um, it caused a little bit of damage to Lewis and Nico respectively, of course. But um, I think we may have a moment like that, but I think Max might come out on top in the race. It's quite interesting because the Belgian circuit is obviously a great blend of 
finding the right balance between straight line speed performance and downforce. You've got the first two sectors, which are very much about speed uh, and car stability. And of course, the middle sector is very much uh, about mechanical grip and having good downforce on the car. So whichever team can do the best job um, will do well. And I think historically this season, we've seen Red Bull have blended that better than Mercedes have. Um, the question has always been about straight line speed for Red Bull. And I think on a few occasions, they've been able to demonstrate that they're certainly capable. So I think that will go in their favour. Um, we didn't really get a good indication of that at Silverstone as, because Mercedes brought upgrades, but we wouldn't know how Lewis would have compared to Max. We felt at the time that Lewis was a little bit behind in terms of overall performance in his car, but it didn't matter. And of course, Hungary, we were robbed of that as well because Max was practically driving with half a car himself, so he couldn't really recover. So it's going to be hard to sell, but I think we'll get a good indication of where the performance of both cars are. And I think right now I would go with Max to win. Historically, I've usually been very, very wrong with my predictions. So Hamilton fans take that for what it's worth. Um, I think the other two podium uh, is going to be whichever one of the other two that doesn't win between Max or Lewis. And I think third place, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Lando Norris. I think McLaren will really fancy it. Uh, it's a good car handling wise. I just think they're going to be ahead of Ferrari at this weekend purely because Ferrari at this point in time does not have the straight line speed. Um, they really struggled last year at Belgium. And whilst the car is considerably better than it was last season um, and will be better at a track like Belgium, obviously a less draggy car. I just think the power deficits in McLaren, they're not going to be able to recover that. I mean, I mean, downforce wise, the middle sector Ferrari are going to be mighty, but the straight line speed you need at mm. Belgium and the DRS zones, especially at the Camel straight, is going to be a real factor that Ferrari will struggle with. I think if Ferrari can stay ahead of the likes of Alpine, Alfa Tauri and Aston Martin behind them um, in the early stages, I think they'll have them covered off. But if they don't, it could be a real difficult afternoon for Ferrari. Um, my bold prediction is I, I think, bold prediction, um, I'm not going to base this on if it rains. I'm going to assume that the weather okay. reports are wrong as they usually are when they say it's going to rain. And that if it's a dry race, I think Daniel Ricciardo will finish in the top five. I know that's not overly bold because I think he's capable of doing it, but I think this is going to be a track that um, Daniel has won at before, no less, in the past. But I think it's going to be a track that he will be very strong at. I think the car characteristics, which he struggled with compared to Lando, will be mitigated a little bit at a circuit okay. like this one. Yeah. And uh, was it 2014? No, 2013 yeah. he won? 2014. Yeah, that's when Lewis and uh, Nico hit yes, each other. It was, and 20, Nico it was, was 2014. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, because I was just thinking because Vettel struggled on that day in the Red Bull and Daniel picked up the pieces. Quite famously, that season he won three races, picked the spoils he did the same in Canada and somewhere else in that season as well but yeah I think Daniel's going to have a great weekend so I'm going to say top five finish for Daniel Ricciardo at least if it's a dry race um unless there's anything else you wanted to add Corny I think we probably could wrap this up that I'm ready for the wrap up mate ready for the wrap up <laughs> well guys of course uh, one thing I should propose to you now Courtney and I were talking over the summer break about content ideas and new things we can do for this channel um, do send us your recommendations of anything you want for us to see on this channel, stuff that we can do that we haven't tried already. Um, regular followers of this channel will know that we've tried a few different things, not necessarily things that have worked out, some that have, and of course we've adopted the ones that have and put to one side the ones that haven't for obvious reasons. But we've seen a lot of people do live streams of qualifying as a watch along. Now, of course, we're not going to do watch alongs of the race because that's just ridiculously long. 
However, qualifying is something that we've talked about for a while and think is possible to do on a live stream. So if you would like to see us do a watch along of qualifying on Saturdays for certain races this season, let us know. And of course, if it is something that does seem to work and you guys seem to enjoy it, then we may incorporate that on a regular basis in the future. But if there are any other ideas or stuff you want to see, please do let us know in the comments below. Of course, let us know your predictions for the Belgian Grand Prix. And also let us know what you think about the drivers we've mentioned already in this episode that we feel need to improve. Of course, there are cases for some other drivers. And of course, perhaps you think we're being a bit too harsh on some drivers that we've mentioned. Um, I mean, before I thought about this, I wouldn't have said Lewis Hamilton, but then upon reflection on the first half of the season, I think there's certain legitimacy to some of the things he's need to improve on. But of course, there are certainly other cases for other drivers as well. But let us know in the comments what you think. And of course, your predictions, as I've already mentioned, and guys, as always, if you have enjoyed this episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, make sure to give it a like and consider subscribing to the channel. We're so close to 500 subscribers. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the channel. It's absolutely free and we'd really appreciate your support. We want to hit our milestone targets and the only way we're going to get there is through your support. So we really do appreciate those of you that have done so. And of course, if you know anyone that would enjoy this, make sure to share that with him as well. Of course, if you are following us on your favorite podcasting platform, please do consider liking that and following us on there. And of course, if you aren't already following us on social media, make sure you do so. The handles are there below if you're watching on YouTube. And of course, we are on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, DNF1 underscore official. And uh, all that's left to say, guys, is stay safe. Thanks for tuning in. And we will see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. Take care. See you soon. Podcast Network.